Hello, everybody. Hope everybody is enjoying their Victory Monday. Welcome to another episode of The List. As always, my name is Brett, and the other end of the tin can and string is Jordan. Jordan, how are you doing today? I'm always great on a Victory Monday. Uh, I think yesterday had some highs, some lows, and I'm ready to cut it up with you. Absolutely, especially since you were there to enjoy that game. Uh, but excited to hear about your experience yesterday. Uh, of course, as always, we have Zach Jackson producing the show. And like we said, Dolphins are back on track. 31-16 win over the Giants. We will get into that momentarily. But our friends over at Finn Heaven did have a few questions for us this week. Uh, we actually, Jordan, I don't know if you saw, we actually had multiple people ask um, us what the difference between the run game this year and last year was. Um, and just uh, from Joe Shad, I did see in 2022, we were averaging 99.2 yards a game, 4.3 rushing yards per attempt, which isn't bad. But then you look at this year and we're averaging 185.8 rushing yards a game, 6.9 rushing yards per attempt, uh, which are video game numbers. Um, I actually saw a tweet yesterday from a college football account that said Miami's offensive numbers would be fifth in FBS this year, which is just insane when you think of uh, numbers. Uh, Jordan, I'm interested to hear your opinion on a run game. I think it comes down to a couple of simple things. One, it's the second year in the system, and this system throughout history just breeds great running games. Two, I just think a healthy and coached-up Austin Jackson makes all the difference. And three, we're just committed to the running. We kind of abandoned the running a lot last year. But biggest of all, we just ate HN speed. This makes all the difference. Yeah, I think it, it starts with what you talked about. Um, it's the second year in the system, both for um, Mostert, Ingold, um, and the offensive line. HN speed is HN speed. And he just looks like he's just – he doesn't even look like he's running that hard, and he's blowing by the entire defense. Um, he's special. Every time he touches the ball, I mean, it almost is, but it feels like he gets a first down. Um, the running back room is obviously improved. Um, no disrespect to Miles Gaskin, who I know is loved in our community, um, but he just didn't have the breakaway speed that HN has, and Mostert's just being Mostert. Um, I think the fumbles lately are a little out of character, um, but the running back room itself is completely upgraded, especially being in year two, being able to be coached up by McDaniel. He does such a great job, especially with running backs. Um, and as well, and we said it on the show, as well as Tua, as well as Tyreek Hill, um, as well as Jalen Waddle have been playing, uh, McDaniel's always his whole career been a run first guy. Um, and I think that once you take that into account, it, it makes a ton of sense what the running backs are doing. Um, but the offensive line, not just Austin Jackson, um, but I feel like Kendall Lamb, who, friend of the show, um, Isaiah Wynn, uh, Connor Williams when he's healthy, those guys are really just moving people. Robert Hunt is obviously doing his job. He almost doesn't get talked about, I feel like, because we just expect him to be a dominant right guard. Um, and he has been. So our entire offensive line has been solid, um, has been playing, again, in this system now, most of these guys, um, together, often for two years. 
Um, and you're just seeing the benefits of that. It's it's coaching, it's playing. Everybody right now is just committed uh, to making the run game what it is. And, and what it is is the best run game in the league at the moment. Yeah, and uh, just to go along with that, some of the All-22 films started coming out today. And yes, I know the Giants don't have the greatest defense, but it is something that aside from the Bills game has been very consistent as you see whether it is Connor Williams or Robert Hunt they are almost always sealing off the first line of the defense. And that means the other one or the guard who's ever pooling is getting to the second level untouched. Uh, so that's, like I said, that's the big thing. That's just experience in the system. But we're ha- when you're having an offensive lineman getting to the second level, that's allowing Ingold, when he's in the block, he's getting up to the third level. And then when you have the speed of Mostert or HN, and even Ahmed when he plays, um, you can just, you're getting untouched till the third, fourth level at, if that. Um, and also, I've always been critical of Durham Smythe as a blocker, thought he was overrated. He's basically become a six offensive lineman with his blocking this year. And I can't give enough credit. Um, I'm not a Mike Gesicki hater like a lot like a lot of people are because blocking isn't Kasiki's strong strong suit but now not just with excuse me not just with Smythe but also the rookie Julian Hill you have two really good blocking uh tight ends big upgrade over Gasicki and in the past uh Tanner Morgan last year and who was the uh who's the tight end we got from the from the Bears a couple years ago uh uh Shaheen yeah, Shaheen, um, who also wasn't a good blocker. So it just feels like we have more good blockers. And, of course, um, Engold adds to that. And also yesterday, I didn't see this, uh, but Chris Brooks, our undrafted four, fourth or fifth string running back, was pancaking defensive ends as a fullback when Engold got banged up yesterday. So it's just everybody being committed to the blocking. Um, to go along with it, like yesterday, we didn't see – Robbie chosen get as many snaps. So I think just, and he's not a good blocker as a wide receiver. So just the commit commitment to blocking. Um, and the other thing, of course, not just with the speed, when you're able to put that many different people in motion, line up a running back in the slot and just hand it to him on a reverse or fake the reverse and give it on a stretch play to the other running back stuff that we couldn't do last year, both because we didn't have the personnel nor the familiarity in the system on the offensive line side of the ball, it makes it a very it makes it very difficult to prepare for. And so yeah, it's 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 a combo of things, but the from the system just is improving because of the familiarity, in my opinion. Yeah, they're committed to it, and and they're going to stay committed to it. And I don't think that's going to change. Um, and I think that it's something that if if continued, um, will help us a lot down the stretch, and especially going into the playoffs. And uh, another question we got, I'm not sure this is a question, um, but just to paraphrase, because reading it is a tongue twister, um, but thank you for this, from this listener for this, is I get, I think they wanted us to pre- ask how you predict which person is going to get the ball because of all the weapons, since it says we can beat a team passing or rushing the ball, which is true. Um yeah, you can't really predict it, Jordan. It's just, uh, I think we can say it this way. The system, like we said for the last one, it's a running system. And McDaniel has committed to getting speed all over the field. And 
the ability to turn and not just speed, but also agility and quickness because names some Dolphin fans might remember. Clyde Gates was one of the fastest players we ever had. You put you put uh, football pads on him and he couldn't do anything. But now you just have a, te- a team of people who can take the ball and change direction at will. It's, I don't want to say revolutionary after we, after, after we lost to the Bills last week, but in a lot of ways it is revolutionary because don't know if you saw a stat, Jordan, because you were at the game, but this is broke a record held by the greatest show on turf for most yards in, a five, in the first five weeks of the season. Yeah, that definitely went around the stadium. Um, to answer the question, I mean, we can beat you in so many ways. Um, and that's why, and I know we're going to talk about the Chase Claypool trade in a little bit. That's why that added such another dimension um, to what you can do. We have big guys. We have small guys. We have a blocking lineup we could put out there. We have a speed lineup. Uh, we can run the ball really well. Um, there's not going to be a team that we face the rest of the year that we don't have the ability to adjust to something that's going to combat what they're doing defensively. Now, doing it at the right time and making the right decision um, and Tua making the right decision, and the coaches making the right decision are going to be what decides things in the playoffs. But this is a team offensively that's built to win a, a Super Bowl in the next couple of years just because it can beat you in so many different ways. Yep. And uh, speaking of that, someone did ask about the uh, any attempts at the trade deadline to kind of go along with Claypool. Uh, we will get into that a little, little bit later as we are going to talk about Claypool and then build off of potential targets it's something we a question we've gotten a couple times since we started asking four questions um i don't know if you saw this one jordan this one came in a little late but someone said it seemed like uh tyreek hill and jalen waddle get half to two-thirds of the target they ask if it's by design or is it to his preference um definitely it's designed first when you have arguably the two fastest wide receivers in the league. Um, Tyreek Hill is the fastest. Jalen Motto might be the second. He might be a little slower than that. But when they're too fast in the league and you're building your passing game on speed, it's going to be Tyreek one, Waddle two, and then build off of that. Yeah, I think that you get them the ball as much as you can um, without being too predictable. I think if you just step back and through to those guys every single time, um, it'd get... I mean, easy to read and easy to stop and make them less effective. Um, I think we have so many weapons. And like I said in the last question, like we've said all episode, we have so many ways that you we can beat you that we don't need to force it anywhere. Uh, we can kind of do what the script gives us, um, do what the other team gives us, make adjustments as needed. I mean, Tyreek Hill's good enough that he's going to get open, uh, I mean, 10, 11 times per game. I mean, Tyreek Hill's the type that he's going to get his numbers um, you don't have to force it there. Jalen Waddle's a guy that's going to break the defense a couple times. You don't need to force it there. Um, you can give the ball to HN 10 to 15 times. You can give the ball to Mostert 10 times. You can spread the ball around to other receivers six, seven times. I mean, you don't you don't need to force it. Um, Tyreek's going to get his. Waddle's going to get his. And you just need to play the game that's in front of you. Yeah, I'm sure Barrios is going to get involved more. It seems like he, maybe it's just me, but it seems like Barrios is a lot more involved in the passing game already than I expected him to, to be. But he's definitely making a difference, making the third down plays a lot easier. Um, but speaking of third down plays, I think it's time to go into the game. Like we said, Dolphins won 31-16. Uh, Jordan, to me, watching on TV, 
it didn't seem like it was as close as the score showed, and the score is not really that close. At times, it felt like, to me, the Dolphins were kind of just sleepwalking through the game because they knew it would take a minimal effort to beat this Giants team. But I'm curious what your feeling being at the game was and if you got the similar impression. Uh, it was definitely a little bit of a lazy feeling. Um, I think you definitely um, knew we were going to win the game. I think even when Tua threw the pick six, um, we kept saying to each other, I mean, the final was 31-16. 31-16 really should have been 38-9 or 38-7 or 38-8. Um, it felt like it should have been a lot more. Um, it, it felt like we um, definitely got a little uh, – we weren't – to me, the, when we scored 70 – it was because we were just playing so hard that we kept scoring and it became easy and they quit. And once they quit, I mean, it was easy for the Dolphins to let up a little bit um, and keep scoring. This game, we went into it kind of like we had already had 35, 42 points. Um, we were that much better than them. Um, and that's the only thing that concerns me. Um, I would like to see us go in with a little more energy early. Um, and really put our foot on these teams early. Um, and that's what's going to help us when we go to Philly, when we go overseas to play KC, when Dallas comes to town. I mean, those type of things, being able – I mean, if you are playing light against the Giants in Carolina, you get away with it. If you play light going into Buffalo, they punch you in the mouth. You play light going into Philly, they punch you in the mouth. Um, so I'd like to see uh, the team, the fans, everybody uh, respond a little more coming out the gate. I don't expect it to happen uh, going into the Carolina game. Um, I expect the Carolina game, we'll preview it later in the week, uh, to be very similar to this game. Um, but I, I would like to see us go in with a little more energy because without it, it'll worry me a little bit going to Philly. Right. And it does kind of make me happy to see how far we've come where we're complaining. We're, well, maybe not all of us, but there's a portion of the fan base complaining about Tua's game because of the two interceptions. But it says a lot that we're not we're complaining about a game, about a performance that was 22 for 30, 308 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions. Um, and to me, especially after he, seeing some of the other misses he had, I felt his two interceptions more than anything were him. He was just too focused on getting the ball to Waddle. He said after the game that he was everybody was waiting to see a waddle in the end zone. They were happy to get one. Um, there was a play in the f fourth quarter, I believe, where he did a crossing route with Smythe and Waddle, and Smythe was open almost right away. He waited for Waddle to get open, and Waddle had to run backwards a little bit and wasn't able to get the first down. So I kind of thought he was a little too zoned into Waddle. First interception, he was just cocky. But hate to say it that way. It was after what should have been a pass interference cocky and try to force it into into a triple coverage uh which he'll occasionally do happens second interception i think he tried to force the waddle but it did show that replay showed that his follow-through hit off of connor williams uh helmet so it's they're not reasons for big concerns but it, it's just one of those things where it's like i feel like he let the emotions get to him he was trying to get his buddy going again yeah i i think so too mm -hmm. i think you could tell, especially early on, they were trying to force it to Waddle. Um, I think the screen on the first drive is the perfect example of that. Um, really trying to get the ball in his hands, get him uh, out there moving around. Um, I expect it to be also a common theme against the Panthers. Like I said, I think the snap count will be similar. I think the touches will be lim 
similar, but I think they'll even try to get the ball to Jalen Waddle a little more um, and, and keep getting him um, to be an integral part of this offense, which he is, no matter what, whether he's getting the touches or not. He having him on the field makes it difficult to really double team and focus on Tyreek. Yeah. And of course the one bad news that or potential bad news we found out today that uh Devon HN is being evaluated for a knee injury. It's probably not serious. McDaniel didn't seem too worried about it. He even made a joke that he's evaluating a lot of things, including what he's gonna eat for dinner. Uh he had love our coach's laid back attitude. Um but I will say this, like I do I, I do think if it's even questionable, ATM will be held held out. I think McDaniel has showed this year so far that if it's even questioned, they are gonna hold you out. It's a long season. I do agree with that. But ATN is having a season to remember, and I don't think we have seen anybody at run like this and put up numbers like this with so few touches since Adrian Peterson back in 2007. So are you there? Tess, can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Yeah, I don't know what happened. You were, you were talking about HA and you said, I heard the words Adrian Peterson and then I got kicked out. Oh, yeah, I was just saying, um, so Zach just cut all. Don't tell me what I to saved. do. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. You'll, you'll be able to see it. But uh, yeah, continuing. Um, Jordan, I don't think we have seen anybody run like this as a rookie this with this few touches since Adrian Peterson. Yeah. The closest thing I remember to, to what a chance done over the last couple of games. Um, I, I think I said it in, in the group earlier is the run that Jay Ajayi had um, a couple of years ago. Well, what is probably more than a couple of years ago, because we're getting old. Um, but the string of 200 yard games he had right around that time. Um, a chan is unbelievable. Every single time he touches the ball, you feel like he can score. Um, I, I've never seen a guy, um, and yeah, the the cutting, there, there are guys that have been shiftier, there are guys that have been more powerful, um, but the pure speed out of the running back position, um, you said Adrian Peterson, to me it reminds me of Chris Johnson. Um, mm-hmm. CJ2K had that that bursting speed that it's he's going to get four or five yards before somebody even touches him for the first time, if they do. And once you touch him, you got to bring him down because he's so shifty. I mean, if you miss by a little bit, he's past you and he's already up the field. Um, he's unbelievable. He's already second um, in rookie of the year standings behind CJ Stroud. He has the second best odds in Vegas. Uh, missing a game would hurt him. Um, but I think it could be the right move to hold him out. Like you said, uh, it is a long season. You have Jeff Wilson coming back. Jeff Wilson um, could use some touches. I think Jeff Wilson will clearly be RB3. Um, unless a guy like Mostert or HN have to miss time. Um, but I wouldn't be totally against not playing him, uh, but giving him a decent amount of practice reps, having him practice fully next week um, and play Philly. But I'm sure we'll have more of an update on HN uh, come Wednesday's show. Yeah, and just to add to that, the other thing with HN is he is second in the league in rushing behind only Christian McCaffrey. And I believe it's all he has 69 less touches than McCaffrey. Uh, so that just gives you an idea of just how insane he's been. Um, nice. Yep. Defensively, I don't really have much to say about the defense. Um, I, I wasn't thrilled for the first half with or for most of the game playing Eli Apple on Darren Waller. But we kind of both agreed that this would be a game for the defense to kind of figure things out. And they did. They got seven sacks. Andrew Van Ginkle continues to be dominant. 
Wilkins and si- Sealer both figured some stuff out, but it's like three starters for the Giants were out. Their backups are probably make you wish you had Jesse Davis's three left tackle. Honestly, that's how bad they were. Um, but yeah, it was just a side from aside from Eli Apple and Darren Waller. I just to me it was a work on your confidence game for the defense. Yeah, I think that we kind of overblow how the defense played. Um, and, and people I saw online today were very upset with the way the defense played. Um, but other than the pick six, I mean, the defense played well. Um, that, that, and that wasn't on them, but that was the only real scoring that the Giants had. Um, the defense played fine. I think that the, the offense is playing so well and is scoring so fast. But sometimes you're not going to feel like the defense is playing well simply because they're on the field so long. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I think I think they're going to continue getting better. Um, I think we're going to play well against these bad teams. But I don't think you can properly evaluate the defense until the Philly game. I think the Philly game, you'll be able to check the defense um, and see how they step up to a big game. I think after that game, we'll be able to talk about the defense. But I think any conversations about the defense between now and October 23rd um, – are kind of irrelevant because we're playing against such inferior competition. Yeah. And uh, before we move on to other topics, I do just have to say, I knew the giants were bad. And in the preseason, you and I talked about how we thought they'd be a team that regressed. But I don't think anybody saw them being this bad. That pick six they got on us is the first touchdown they scored in the first half of any game this year so far. That is a new level of an apt and I like uh, Brian Dayball as head coach. I like Mike Kafka, the offensive coordinator. Man, they should. It's not all his fault because the injuries on offensive line, but they should not have invested that money in Daniel Jones. Yeah, that was a horrible investment. Um, it's probably an investment that's going to cause a couple of people to lose their jobs. Um, I mean, yeah. because if, if I you believe look the at cap hit goes up to forty-one million next year, right? The cap hit goes up to forty-seven million next year, um, and then there's a um, a buyout um, from his two-year eighty-two million left on his contract um, that'll cause twenty-two million in dead cap in twenty twenty-five. Um, it sucks, um, but it's something. Daniel Jones will probably be on the roster next year if they go the rest of the season the way they're going. Um, I still think Dayball comes back. Um, but I think there's a chance they invest in a new quarterback, um, be it in the draft, not necessarily um, in free agency because you already have so much money um, tied up to Daniel Jones. But this isn't a bad football team. There's just something that's off, and sometimes when there's something off, it's the quarterback. They're another team a lot like the Patriots. We talk about them. Their receiving core just does nothing for me. Um, they have a bunch yeah. of number four, number five receivers, um, but they really need a number one receiver. Um, so that could help Daniel Jones. I think Darren Waller hasn't been good this year. Um, so having a, a real tight end, and he doesn't even block, um, which hurts the running game. Eric Gray ran well early in the game. I know I liked him in the draft process. I know there were a couple people around that watch our show that liked him in the draft process. Um, he ran well um, as a backup to Saquon. Um, I don't think you can invest a lot of money long-term in Saquon. Um so I think that that partnership will come to an end soon. I would be interested to see if they would move him around the trade deadline just to kind of get some assets back. Um, but Daniel Jones is a guy you're not going to be able to build around. 
At least it doesn't seem like it. He'll be 27 next year. And to me, he's the type of guy, his absolute peak, Daniel Jones, would be essentially Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. No, I remember watching. It's funny because even at Duke, he wore number 17. And I remember when people were hyping him up, I'm like, this just looks like a more athletic Ryan Tannehill. Um, and I liked Ryan Tannehill, but seven years of watching Ryan Tannehill for your team, you kind of are like, I, I want something a little different from that. Um, and yeah, to go ahead, I, I, they expected, I think they just overrated where they were. Another one of those teams that overrated where they were. I like Sterling Shepard as a third or fourth option. I like Wandale Robinson as a gadget guy. Jalen Hyatt I liked in the draft, but he clearly wasn't ready to be, step up into a big role. So they they definitely were off on where some of their players were. Now, granted, some of it, you get three offensive linemen who are starters hurt, Andrew Thomas being one of them who was arguably a top-five tackle in the league. That makes a difference. But you spent a top-five pick on Evan Neal, and he's too busy calling your fans, what do you say, sheeps that flip burgers or something like that? You definitely don't want your own fan base turning on you. No. No. So, yeah, there's definitely some change, some things they have to make. So, like, offensive line, as we know, it's hard to get that right the first time. But when you get all those injuries, it's even tougher. But, yeah, they're going to be a completely different team next year. But I I was never a fan of giving that contract to Daniel Jones. Uh, but enough about the Giants. I know we, this uh, trade happened for us late on Friday or middle of Friday that we potentially thought about doing a quick podcast before this one. And I'm not, but it still works out where the Dolphins traded for Chase Claypool um, for the Chicago Bears. We gave them a 2025 sixth round pick, and we also got a 2025 seventh round pick back in return, if I'm not mistaken. Jordan and I have spent time whenever we talk about the Bears dunking on the Claypool trade, because it was a bad trade for the Bears. Everything that could go wrong could go wrong. It, it was a bad trade for the Bears, but I think that's it's different when you're talking about the trade we made. Yes, yeah. If we would have traded a second-round pick for Chase Claypool, I would have been pissed. And we can't defend that. But you're talking about a receiver who I believe they said is the, in the last 20 years, is the second most athletic wide receiver since Megatron. And he is a guy who is known to be a, a great blocker. Well, I think Claypool has lived off his rookie year for a long time and does need to deflate his head a little bit. You're basically, you're giving up a late pick in two years to a show me player. I don't really see the downside of this trade. There is no downside to this trade. Um, this trade, yeah, there were a lot of people that, you, you could say what you want um, about Claypool. Um, giving up a six-round pick, getting back a seventh-round pick, and a player that was a year ago traded for a second round pick, um, you you can't really beat that. You can't. Um, I think that it's a piece that the Dolphins didn't have. Um, I think when it when it came time to replace um, River Craycraft and Eric Izukanma, um, who are both battling injury right now, and we hope they get back soon, but it, it doesn't look like Craycraft is coming back soon, and it doesn't look like Izukama knows the playbook very well. Um, getting a guy like Chase Claypool, who has a history taking carries 
like a guy like Izukama. I think Claypool, if I'm not mistaken, has 32 carries in his career, 29 of which came with um, Pittsburgh. So I think with Chicago, you just see a team that I think played him just simply as a big physical receiver and not as the versatile player he is. I think the Dolphins are going to find out how to properly use Chase Claypool. I don't necessarily know if he's a starter um, because Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle are obviously Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, and Cedric Wilson's been playing pretty good um, in the time he's gotten. Um, so I think Claypool battle with Wilson. Um, Barrios has his role kind of settled. Um, Robbie Chosen is a guy who might take a little bit of a bump um, depending on who we're playing, if you need speed, if you need physicality. But now if you look at the Dolphins receiving core, all of who I just named, Tyreek, Berrios, Waddle, Chosen, Sed, and Claypool, we can beat you in every different way. And we can put every combination type of receiver out there and have a receiving core that you say, okay, those are guys who have made big catches at the NFL level. Cedric Wilson with Dallas, Claypool with Pittsburgh, Robbie Chosen early in his career, um, and, and obviously the other guys speak for themselves. So you have a very versatile receiving core, and one you had, you had a less versatile receiving core the day before you made this trade. Yeah, and I think it's also worth mentioning that once the season started, Claypool's contract became non-guaranteed, and he's a free agent at the end of the year. So worst-case scenario, or if doomsday scenario we could cut him in two weeks and we're not responsible for anything on it most realistic scenario he's not good we let him walk if he's good maybe we get a i don't know if we would qualify for a compensatory pick from him but if he's good we get an extra receiving option who gives us a red zone threat we don't have so yeah i just don't see the downside it's one of those things where it's like yeah this is the kind of this is the kind of move you make, good teams make. Sometimes they work out. Sometimes it's they don't. Sometimes it's like the Isaiah Wilson trade from a couple of years ago where you end up cutting him two days later because he's a head case. But for the cheap price, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, no. You're not going to – I hate to say this because you never know, but you're not going to get a, a player better than Chase Claypool in two, in two years for at that level. So I'm fine, I'm fine taking that risk. He's, he's still young enough where it's like, I don't see the downside. But to play off of that and go into trade deadline talk, which is still a couple weeks away, but it's a question we get asked all the time um, for who we would look at at a trade deadline. I don't think you're going to see big, big trades. But because everybody kept asking Jordan, I looked at a bunch of, play, uh, bunch of teams Obviously, the Bears, I think, will be selling, and I have said in the past, trying Cole Komet. I don't think that's an option anymore, especially after we went and got Claypool. And I think the Bears feel good about where they are now. They're not going to be sellers, despite despite what their record shows and what I think it will show. Um, so I was looking at a bunch of the teams. The Broncos are now a selling team. Um, with their roster, I didn't see much... I liked that I would like to pursue uh, maybe a young tight end they have in Greg Dulcich, but he's currently on IR. So I kind of, I'm going to wait and see approach for him. Uh, Carolina. I looked at their roster. I didn't see much like either. I know some people who help with the podcast love Tommy Tremble. I'm not in love with the idea of Tommy Tremble. I think there are better options potentially available. Um, 
Tommy if he was Tremble. healthy, I would say. Somebody wants Tommy. Who wants Tommy Tremble? He's the he's by far the third most tight end I'd want on that team. I'd, yeah, I'd take no, I'd, I'd take Ian Thomas or Hayden Hurst. Probably not at their cap figures, um, but I'd take both of them before a guy like Tommy Tremble. Yeah, no, I would agree. And um, the one guy I would take, but he's hurt, is Shaq Thompson. Um, he's a linebacker. I've loved him since he was a prospect in high school. When he and then when he went to Washington, uh, excuse me. Um, and dealing with the cold, everybody, I think you can hear my voice, but I'm palling through for you for your entertainment. Um, Giants. I don't see anybody I want from the Giants. I don't think they would trade Darren Waller after trading for us. So I looked at a bunch of other teams. And Jordan, I'm interested to hear your list, but here are the three names that I came up with that I would kick tires on. My okay. first one is one is the aim for the aim for the stars. Team that thought they could be contending, who's been on a bit of a downward spiral in the last couple weeks, is the Washington Commanders. We have talked about how this defense needs a linebacker. The one home run hit or swing for the fences guy I would look at is trying to trade for Jamin Davis. Young linebacker on a rookie contract. Um, I think he's under contract for next year, too. I believe he was the year after Tua. Very fast. I like that. I like the idea of just gambling on that. Then we get someone that adds, like I said, adds speed and adds instincts. Can't get him. I do have another linebacker I would look at. This one goes to our old coach, Brian Flores. I would go up to Minnesota and kick, kick tires on Jordan Hicks. Older linebacker. Minnesota may not be interested, but they're in that weird situation where they may ha want to try and recoup assets. So Jordan Hicks is another one who's been around for a while. He's proven to be a pro not a big name, but he's been a bit of a playmaker for the Eagles, the Cardinals, and now the Vikings as well. The third name is a tight end, and this goes to Arizona. This guy is a borderline Hall of Famer. He is older, but he's a good blocker, still a good receiver. Why not offer a day three pick for Zach Ertz? Yeah, that, that last name, Zach Ertz, was actually one of the names I had on my list. Um, I think the only thing you could say about Zach Ertz, um, if we were to trade for him, um, is that his contract isn't great. Um, he has a buyout after next year with, with a $5 million dead cap. Um, but if he is under contract next year, um, it's an $8 million contract. And I'm not necessarily sure the Dolphins are going to want to put um, $8 million into a, an older tight end when we have so much money we need to tie up elsewhere. Um, rather than paying a guy who's going to be just about 34 by the time next year rolls around. Um, so I did have him kind of on my short list. Um, the other name um, that I had on my short list from the Giants we just played um, was Bobby Okariki. Uh, Okariri? Okariki. Sure. Um, okay, I got it right the first time. I must have misspelled it over here. Um, so he's another guy that I have in that Zach Ertz category of maybe a little bit out of the price range. Um, but both of those guys would be studs. Um, you had one of the guys that I had on my list, um, Jemin Davis uh, from the commanders. That's kind of the area that you're going to look for the dolphins to go after in the next couple trade deadlines, guys who were drafted high, 
Um, may not have lived up to that potential. Um, that team is struggling, and that rookie contract's about to come up. You'll start seeing the Dolphins move, uh, make moves for guys like that. Um, along those lines, the three guys I'm going to go with, since I couldn't go with Jamie Davis, um, Quinn Miners from the Broncos um, went to Wisconsin Whitewater. Um, I know a lot of people like him. Um, he can play center. He can play guard. Um, I liked him coming out. I thought he was an option for us to pick coming out of college. Um, if the Broncos are really going on a fire sale, he's a young, uh, versatile offensive lineman that I think could fit uh, better than a guy like Liam Eikenberg. Um, if Connor Williams ever goes down again, Miners can snap. Um, and he's a guy that can fit um, at left guard. So he's a guy um, that I would give up a mid-round pick uh, for a guy like Miners. The other guy kind of down on the radar um, that a lot of people may not even know who he is is Leaky Fotu. Uh, he is the defensive tackle, the nose tackle for the Arizona Cardinals. He is uh, 25 years old. He's under the final year of his contract. It's a million dollars. He is a big physical nose tackle. The Arizona defense has been underrated this year. Um, Leaky go- comes from Utah. Uh, he's Samoan. Um, I believe he looks Samoan. If he's not Samoan, I'm very sorry. Um, but uh, he's a guy that plugs space. And I think when you watch the Dolphins' defense, there's something that stands out, and that's that the Dolphins are very small. They're a small football team. So um, they got to adjust to that, and they got to add some size. And we only have really three defensive linemen uh, that I really trust putting in the game right now. If he has to go in the game, you can move Wilkins to an outside position. You can move Sealer to an outside position. Uh, plug him right there in the middle, um, and I think he would add some much needed size that I think you're going to be that you're going to need uh, later in the season. So that I believe is uh, two names from you or from me. Uh, and the third name I'll give um, is Brian Asamoah, inside linebacker from the Vikings. You went with uh, Jordan Hicks. I'm going with Brian Asamoah only because I think the Dolphins are going to go younger. Um, Asamo is a guy, a uh, very fast linebacker, uh, drafted in the third round out of Oklahoma just a year ago. Last year, he only played 10% of the snaps. This year, he's only playing 6% of the snaps, so he can't really see the field in Minnesota. Um, but I think for a conditional pick, he's the type of guy that will add depth to the inside linebacker spot in Miami um, and could be a, a project along with Channing Tindall, um, but a guy that can come in and maybe uh, take a spot from Jerome Baker or David Long that are seemingly up for grabs. Uh, I think Jamin Davis would be more likely and more impactful, um, but I think that uh, with you laying him out, I needed to go off the board and pick someone else. Understandable there, but I like the uh, Leaky Fatu shout. Uh, We've talked about a lot, especially since we've gone to a true – 3-4 3-4 defense, we are really lacking that nose tackle that will eat up blockers. And um, I think we both can agree, though, that this year, unlike last year, when we are looking for more impact players, this is going to be more of the bargain hunting when it comes to the trade deadline. Yes, 100%. Dude, but I do feel a lot happier, especially after... Buffalo lost to Jacksonville last week, not just because you and I called it, but we get to listen to Buffalo fans complain about how unfair it was that Jacksonville got to spend two weeks in London. Can you imagine if Buffalo played in London last week 
uh, let's say let's say the Dolphins and Bills played in London last week, and the Dolphins lost, and the Bills sent the Dolphins back home, and the Bills stayed in London for a week and had to play Jacksonville next week. Could you imagine the way Bills fans would be losing their minds right now that they had to stay in London for two weeks uh-huh. and then play another football game? Yeah, no, they would have. Uh, they would have still complained. It would have like. Cocky Bills fans are the worst because nothing is ever their fault. Yeah, nothing's um, their fault. Nothing. Take yeah. some take some accountability. You lost. It's the NFL. Not every loss is a disaster that needs some excuse, and not every win means you're going to the Super Bowl. It, the NFL is somewhere in between, and I feel like that's something Bills fans really struggle with. Well, in fairness, that loss could have been disastrous because it does look like they have lost Matt Milano and Daquan Jones, uh, two of their better defensive players this year, for the season to injuries after losing Tredavious White against us. I don't root for injuries, but Milano is one of those guys that I'm not going to celebrate that he's injured because that's that's just messed up on a whole other level, but I'm not going to shed a tear that he's not playing either. No, I hope he um, is healthy. Um, and that he's doing okay, just not able to get on the football field. Um, and I hope he is perfectly fine the second the season ends. I would never wish anybody injury. I would rather beat the Bills with Matt Milano all in the field. I would rather beat the Bills with Tredavious White on the field. Um, either way, we're going to beat them. Uh, it really sucks that this is going to be what the Bills fans use later in the year when they say, oh, we didn't have Milano, we didn't have White, we didn't have this, we didn't have that, uh, forgetting that we didn't have Phillips when they played us. Um, forgetting that or they Connor made, or Connor. Um, so, I mean, you, you can't necessarily use it as an excuse. Um, the NFL, as much as it is about football, um, it's all about who can be healthy at the right time. Um, and it looks like the injuries are beginning to uh, stack up a little bit for Buffalo. Yeah. And do you think that they can maintain the le- high level they've had? Um, honestly, I think the reason their offense looks so slow, and I, w- I didn't realize this until the game time, that Buffalo didn't travel to London till Friday, which seems extremely stupid on their part. I would have left, especially since you don't practice Monday or Tuesday. I would have left one of those days and taken the whole week to assimilate. But do you think they have the, that they'll be able to maintain after all these injuries that are coming up on their defense? Probably not. I think that they're going to definitely struggle um, over, I mean, the course of the next couple of weeks. Uh, their next two games are against the Giants and the Patriots. So I don't necessarily think um, – and looking at the Bills' schedule, they go they go Giants, Patriots, Bucks, um, and then Bengals who are starting to look a little bit better, um, and then the Broncos, and then the Jets. So they don't really – it's not really going to show there. But I think it's going to show more uh, towards the back end of the season. They play the Eagles and the Chiefs back-to-back. Then they play the Cowboys and the Chargers. Um, and then another game with the Patriots, and then they come down to Miami – for week 18. So that back end of the schedule for Buffalo is brutal. Um, and I don't think they can afford to slip up over the next three weeks against the Giants, Patriots, or Bucks, um, or else that little stretch late in the year uh, is going to get difficult for them. Speaking of the Patriots, Jordan, do you think it is now time for the Billy Zapp- Bailey Zappi era? Um, I think it's the time for the era for whatever gets you closest to potentially Caleb Williams or Drake may um, or not having to give too many assets to trade up. 
Um, it it's clear. Like we said, Mac Jones is in a bad situation. I really think that the Patriots would be just as um, fine drafting a guy like Marvin Harrison and having him with uh, Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi um, or bringing back Garoppolo um, than you would be necessarily with a guy like Drake May or Quinn Ewers or Michael Penix. Um, I think that the Patriots have kind of flattened out. I think they need um, a change. Um, I don't know. I assume that's going to mean Belichick is going to be done soon. Um, I think that's kind of the next step of what's coming. But you look at their schedule, and I'm going to read your schedule over the next five weeks. Are they better than the Raiders, the Bills, the Dolphins, the Commanders, or the Colts? No. Are they better than the Giants? Is it bad that I have to stop and think about that? Right. Um, well, maybe. Like, look- the Giants they play they play the Giants and they play the Broncos. They play the Jets the last week of the season, who they always seem to find a way to compete with. Um but all, looking at their schedule, there aren't many games they're gonna be able to win this year. I can't see them finishing with more. What do they have now? One or zero? One 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 win. Oh, they beat the Jets. That's right. So I can't see them ending with more than four to five wins max. So, yeah, I, I think teams that win three or four games in a season usually have big changes attached to them. Yeah. And I've complimented Max Jones a little bit for how he's avoided pressure, but it's, it's clear something is broken between him and the Patriots, especially with the news coming out that a source close to him has said that Max said it doesn't matter how good of a cook you are. You can't, you can't cook great dinners with crap ingredients, which. Yes, you and I have been talking about how archaic this offense is. That is not something you say or let leak. Uh, The big mistake, obviously, was, and I think a lot of people, especially in the fantasy world, overrated where Ramondre Ramondre Stevenson was as a player. He is not giving them near the production I think anybody thought he would give. Uh, Zeke's cooked, and, well... They have a uh, lineup with Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, Mike Kosicki, and Judah Smith-Schuster. Oh, and even Ty Montgomery. I guess that's an okay lineup for uh, a 2019 offense, right? <laughs> Not even. Um, I, I think that the weapons, I mean, we've talked about this a, a lot now in the last couple episodes. The weapons they have, no quarterback would really be able to to do much with other than maybe like a Mahomes um, type guy, but not even, I mean, I I think you still need some sense of weapons um, to compete. Um, I I think, I I think you just have to kind of start over, get rid of the big contracts, um, break it down and, and completely restart. Is this are these offensive weapons worse than the ones Tua had his first two years? They're very similar, and I remember I read uh, Tua's rookie receivers um, and read New England's receivers this year, and and it's very similar and very close. Um, I it's very close, and uh, I think that when you look at New England come draft time, um, they're going to need just about everything. Yeah. And one last point on New England. Last year, with the uh, gruesome twosome 
of Matt Patricia and Joe Dudley in the offense. They averaged about 15 points a game. They bought, brought Bill O'Brien in from Alabama. And their offense is actually worse this year than last year. They are averaging just over 13 points a game. So you come into season saying nowhere to go but up. Apparently you can go down. They are making a Matt Canada offense in Pittsburgh look competent. And that is very hard to do. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's time for a change. Yeah. On to the Jets. This is the one time I will actually ever say anything nice for the Jets. I dunk on Nathaniel Hackett as a coach. I think he's very overrated. I think he's a case of, I know nepotism, nepotism isn't the right word, um, but he gets jobs because he's Aaron Rodgers' boy. Um, I'm going to call it nepotism. Someone can correct me on what the correct term is, whether it's Jordan or someone else after we listen, they listen to this. But not a fan of him as a coach, but by all accounts, he's a great guy. Yeah. Sean Payton went out and broke a broke a cardinal rule of saying the Denver Broncos last year were the worst coached one of the worst coached teams in NFL history. You don't insult your predecessor like that. You, you compliment them, even if it's just words. So I will say this, just because of how much of a dick Sean Payton was, it was nice to see Nathaniel Hackett and the Jets get the win. That being said, that was because of the Jets' defense and Brees Hall, not because of Nathaniel Hack, because that offense is still a train wreck outside of Hall. And both teams fumbled the ball four, four times. So there were eight fumbles. It was, it was painful to watch. And the Jets had a chance to score going into the half, and they let the time run out. So it was a clown show, it was a clown show game, but congrats to Hackett for that. Yeah, it was nice. It was funny. They, I don't know if you saw it. They made Hackett a captain before the game and gave him the game ball after the game. Yeah, I saw that. Um, and, of course, the one one uh, bad thing that came out of the game for the Jets is they actually lost Vera Tucker uh, for the year again again this year, this time to an Achilles injury. I don't know if you saw that. So not all yeah. good for the Jets. I, I think the, the changes they need to make this offseason seemingly have more to do with their training staff than with their actual team. Um, it seems like for the last couple of years, every year we've been talking about Jets players getting hurt. Um, I don't know if it's the conditioning they do. I don't know if it's maybe a field that they practice on. Um, I'm not going to speculate about what it is, but um, it is seemingly something. Um, and the Jets need to figure that out and find players that could stay healthy. Um, but this year, the Jets are not bad enough, I don't think, um, to be a horrible team um, and get a top pick. Um, but I don't think they're good enough to be a playoff team. I think they're going to sit right around the midpoint. They're going to win some games. They're going to lose some games. Um, and the, the Jets are okay. Um, they don't need to make a ton of changes, I don't think, going into next year. Um, I, I think you're going to kind of see um, the same type of offseason for the Jets. Yeah, I agree. They're going to go all into Rodgers. Um, but something I did want to point out, you mentioned the training staff. That is interesting because I remember it was about three or four years ago both the 49ers and Eagles were coming off of years where like for two or three straight years, they had everybody getting injured and both teams actually did an internal investigation and review of their training staff and ended up making changes. And I think those two are now the two winningest teams in the NFC, if not the whole NFL in that same time frame, probably behind Kansas city, the whole NFL, but it is something to look at. Cause you know, when you have everybody getting hurt, it's not it, 
sometimes it's just coincidence, but sometimes it could be something with the training staff too. So it is something that they uh, definitely want to look at. Yeah, I think they definitely should. Yep. And of course, coming into this weekend, we have the Panthers. We won't get into that game. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn by saying we both are probably expecting with our preview to have a bigger margin of victory than we did this past weekend, right? Yeah, I think I think it's going to be a little more of the same when we talk later in the week. Yeah. I'll just say this when we talk later in the week. I do like what the Panthers are doing, but they don't have. They don't have the horses right now. That's going to be the small preview there. But it is now time for the part of the show where we add people to the list. People, again, as there will be two today. Jordan, why don't you start us off? So th- this person is somebody that every Miami fan um, is going to be happy that's going on the list. And they may be unhappy they have to see his name, but they'll be happy he's going on the list. Um, this person has had said countless stupid things about um, Miami teams over the last couple of years. Um, but this one having to do with the Dolphins, uh, this person tweeted uh, on April 2nd, 2022, Devontae Parker, welcome to New England. Let's take it slow as you get used to this the startling experience of having your QB hit you in stride when you're open, taking a shot at Tua Tonga-Vailoa, saying that Devontae Parker now has a quarterback in Matt jo- Mac Jones that has the ability to hit him in stride. Bill Simmons on Sunday tweeted in all capital letters as yelling, crying old people usually do. This has to end. How much more evidence do we need that Mac Jones is not a starting quarterback? Bill Simmons, we tried to tell you a long time ago that Mac Jones wasn't a starting quarterback. I feel like most people other than you and the Patriots community did not know that Mac Jones wasn't a starting quarterback. Bill Simmons, on behalf of the Dolphins, on behalf of the Miami Heat, and on behalf of all the stupid shit that you say, Bill Simmons, welcome to the list. Yeah, and two things I want to add to that. First of all, the whole Devontae Parker tweet in the first place. Did he not watch Devontae Parker most of his career in Miami? He should know that he's not a guy who get who relies on getting open. He's you throw up and catch the ball. So that was stupid in the first place. But Jordan, I know you're a wrestling fan like I am. I appreciate this. Uh, a couple weeks ago, he had Nick Khan, who is the C- CEO for WWE currently, or present maybe. But for those who don't yeah. know, WWE and UFC just merged. So Bill Simmons had Nick Khan on to speak about the merger to make TakeOver. And Bill Simmons asked Nick Khan, who is a high-up executive, or no, he didn't ask. He said that WWE should bring back the wrestler Tess. Well, as Nick Khan pointed out, Tess died over a decade ago. And Bill Simmons Jeez. had no idea. Jeez. So it's one of those things where Bill just has diarrhea of the mouth and he just says the dumbest stuff without even thinking or doing research. So that's the issue there is people will say dumb shit, but if you say dumb shit and you say sh- shit that like is so easy to show is wrong, it, it's just a whole nubble, another level of dumb. So yeah, fully support Bill Simmons on the list. I am adding Theo Ash. 
Now, Theo Ash has had a long-standing feud with Miami Dolphins fans. In fact, I would say the whole reason he even has his internet career right now of breaking down NFL, if you want to call it that, is because of his hatred of the Miami Dolphins. He hates Tua. He is one of those dinosaur people, which is funny because I think he's younger than both of us, who believes that if you do not have a cannon of an arm, you cannot be a quarterback in the NFL. We've talked about enough, and we'll get into it when we get closer and start talking about our draft takes, that a strong arm does not make you a good quarterback. Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are the anomalies. They're the unicorns. Justin Herbert, too. It's the brains, but he is not willing to accept that. He picked the Dolphins to be a five-win team this year. Last year, he said Mac Jones was better than Tua. He finally kind of saw the light with how Tua was starting and admitted he was wrong. But as soon as Tua throws an interception this week, he tweets out, Tua is not a good quarterback. Now, I don't really talk trash on my personal Twitter, but that actually made me go out and say, you are not a good analyst, but who's keeping track? I don't want to put Theo Ash or Theo Ash, however you say his name, Theo Ash onto the list because I don't want to give him attention, but I feel it would be very irresponsible to my fellow Dolphin fans if we didn't put someone who is constantly seeking our attention on the list just so he knows that we are aware of his stupidity. And we will give him his platform to say he is an idiot and to show he is an idiot. So, Theo Ash, you just made the list. Damn. Theo Ash. Guess what, Theo? Theo, I just learned who you were about six minutes ago. Yeah. He's not really... He's gained a following, and it's all because of the Tua hate, but he's actually starting to lose his following because people are starting to realize that Tua is actually good, and he keeps on with the hate. So, you can't fix stupid. Wise man once said that. But everybody, I think that is it for this for today not this week we'll be back later this week jordan just as a teaser i know you have something special lined up for our listeners later on yeah um there was some speculation um on twitter um about the identity of a certain um twitter figure i guess you can call um and there's a potential we may or may not we don't know may or may not have a dolphin player on on wednesday or later in the week, yeah. depending on when you listen to the podcast. Yeah, so we are going to find that out. And a lot of good stuff coming up soon. But I think it is time for us to wrap it up. Get ready for a good week of picks, because I think we actually both had a fairly decent week this week, or last weekend. So, aside from my upset pick, but we'll get into that later. But for Jordan and Zach, my name is Brett. And remember... We are watching. This is the list. Zach, hit that music. <laughs>